Mark chapter 1. We started in Mark last week, and we're continuing on. And we're still in chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. Just a couple of verses today. We had a good introduction last week by Mark, and we established what is most important about the book of Mark, and indeed about the whole Bible, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark gave a good, a, a, a good introduction, a, a good, short, simple uh, <coughs> explanation of who Jesus was. He's the Son of God. We have all of these witnesses that Mark had told us about that had testified to Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who had come. And uh, Mark's book is, is pretty short in a lot of these stories, as we said last week. And he just kind of cuts to the, to the point. He hits the high points. He gives you a brief description of what's going on. And then on to the next thing for most of his writings. And so uh, in the first uh, 13 verses we looked at last week, we, we, we covered a lot of ground. And, 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 and Mark covered all of those things quickly. And then we almost instantly get into uh, the ministry of Jesus here in the book of Mark in the first chapter. And that's where we are going to continue today. Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I pray that you help me to preach your word in a way that's going to be beneficial to these people. God, I pray that your word would preach to us. That as we look at your words, as we, as we read about your kingdom, as we know that it's near, dear Lord, God, I pray that you help us to realize that. God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has never known Jesus Christ, that today that they would. God, I pray that your words would speak to us in a way uh, that, 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 that get us excited about you, that help us to learn about you. And God, I pray that you would just hide me behind the cross. Help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to benefit each one of us here today. And God, I pray it's all to your glory. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. John had come onto the scene in the verses we looked at last week, and he had begun to preach about the one who was coming after him, the one who was going to be greater than him, the one who indeed would be Jesus Christ. Now, John's ministry eventually ended. He was arrested, and eventually he was murdered. And it was upon uh, John's ministry uh, coming to an end that Jesus began his ministry. John had indeed prepared the way for Jesus, just as the prophecies we looked at last week had told us he would. John had prepared the way for the Messiah who was coming, and that Messiah was indeed here in Jesus Christ. It says in verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee preaching the good news of God. Now, that's where we get the word gospel from. When we say the gospel of Mark or Matthew or John or whatever, and when we use the word gospel, that simply means the good news. We talked last week about why the good news was good news. The good news was good because of the bad news. The bad news, just a reminder, we are sinners. We are hopeless. The good news is, is that God loves us and offers us a way to be forgiven. He gives us His grace through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, through His death and uh, through His resurrection. And so that's the good news. And so Jesus, being the Son of God, the Messiah, who would be the one to fulfill uh, what God uh, 
was going to make take place. That is, he was going to give his life on a cross and he was going to be resurrected. And Jesus was going to be the one to fulfill that. And he began to preach this good news that would eventually come through his death and resurrection. Then Jesus says in verse 15, the time is fulfilled. Now, there was a time that was coming for the Messiah to come. Jesus was letting the people know here at the very beginning of his ministry as he's about to start his ministry, which would have lasted approximately three years, give or take a few months. Jesus is letting the people know that the time is fulfilled. The time has come. The Messiah is here. Now, the people needed to know that because they had been looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. They knew God's Word, what we call the Old Testament. They knew about the prophecies of the one who was going to come, the Messiah who was going to come. And indeed, that Messiah is Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The time has come. And Jesus starts off his ministry by letting the people know that that time has come. Then he goes on to say, And the kingdom of God has come near. Now that's a phrase we see quite frequently in the scriptures, in particular in the gospel accounts. The kingdom of God has come near. We may see that phrase a lot, and we may wonder, what is the kingdom of God? That's a good question for us to ask, and that's what we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about today. What is the kingdom of God? Is it a kingdom that has already come, or is it something that is coming in the future? Well, Jesus said as he began his ministry and he was going out and, and preaching to the people and teaching the people and healing the sick and, and all of the things he was doing, he told the people as he started his ministry here, the kingdom of God has come near. He didn't want the people to miss it. He was letting them know, okay, you've been looking for the kingdom of God. You've been looking for, for the Messiah. Well, that kingdom has come near to you right now. It's in your presence. It's among you, as some of the scriptures say. Jesus did not want the people to miss the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus does not want you to miss the kingdom of God either. He tells them that the kingdom of God is dear, and then he proceeds to tell them what they need to do. Now, we need to listen to this because the same is true for us today. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, that's pretty simple. What Jesus is saying when he says repent is he's saying, I want you to turn from your sinful ways. I want you to believe in me. I want you to believe that I'm the Son of God, that I am going to die for you, and indeed has died for us, has been resurrected for us. That's what Jesus is wanting us to believe. He's wanting us to turn from our sins and believe in Him, not just with a head knowledge, not just a head belief, but He wants us to believe in Him with our heart, in that we trust in Him, we serve Him, we humble ourselves before Him. The time has come, the Messiah is here, the kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, if you want to be part of the kingdom of God, you must repent of your sins and you must turn to Jesus Christ. Now, this was important for the people then, and it's important for us today. We, too, are sinners. We have no one else or nothing else we can believe in or trust in that can forgive us of our sins apart from Jesus Christ alone. Now, in Jesus' day, uh, there were struggles for the people of, of, of things that they were following apart from Jesus Christ. Now, there are many things in this world today that people worship and people follow and people put trust in. 
All of those things will let us down apart from Jesus Christ. In Jesus' day, one problem that we see rear its ugly head quite frequently in these gospel accounts is the, is the problem of, of, of legalism, people following the law. Uh, they were trying to live by the letter of the law without trusting God and living for Him and serving Him. And Jesus was telling them, hey, you want to serve the Lord, you want to enter the kingdom of God, here's what you do. You turn from your sinful ways, maybe some of your beliefs that were wrong, that were not right, that were, that were not leading you closer to the Father, and He's saying, you believe in Me, you trust in Me, because I am the way. I'm the one that you must follow. And Jesus is setting that, He's setting that foundation for them right here. He's saying, look, listen to what I have to say. He's starting his ministry off with this statement. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. You want to enter that kingdom. Repent of your sins. Believe in me. I'm the way. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. And indeed, Jesus does tell us many things through these gospel accounts, as we will see in the book of Mark. And if you've read, which most of you probably have, the other gospel accounts, uh, you see Jesus teaching us all kind of things, and we need to listen to what Jesus has to say. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, I'm going to read through several scriptures today. Uh, if you want to try to follow along, you can. I'll go through them kind of quickly for time, time uh, purpose because we've got a lot that I want us to get through to better understand the kingdom of God. But as always, ask me afterwards if you want these and I will give them to you so you can research them in their context. But uh, the scripture talks about the kingdom of God quite frequently. Now, one thing that we need to, to, that I want to mention before we talk about the kingdom of God is also the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Now, we also see that phrase in Scripture in the book of Matthew and Matthew alone. Uh, some would say that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different kingdoms. And, and you may believe that, and there are Christians on both sides that believe that. I personally believe that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing in Scripture. Uh, I believe that they're the same thing for, for a few reasons. One, because as you read the language as to what they're talking about in the context, it's very similar. It seems as though they're talking about the same thing. Even Jesus himself, in one instance, uses kingdom of God in one, in one sentence, and the very next sentence uses kingdom of heaven, and he's talking about the same theme, the, the same idea, the same thing that he's talking about, and he uses different phrases, but he uses the different phrases kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven in the same way. Another reason why I believe that these, that these verses are the same is because they are only used in the book of Matthew. Kingdom of heaven will, is found nowhere else in the rest of the scripture other than Matthew. Now, I believe that if they were different kingdoms and they had different significances, that there would probably have been other people in the text who would have talked about the kingdom of heaven. But we only see it in Matthew's account. Now, Matthew does use kingdom of God, I think, on four different occasions. But most of the time, he uses kingdom of heaven. I believe that one reason why that may be the case is the fact that Mark was written to Gentiles. That is, people who didn't grow up with the promise. They didn't know what God's Word said. They didn't know the Old Testament. They didn't know the promise of the Messiah who was coming. Uh, and so Mark was writing to Gentiles who didn't know anything. He was trying to tell them who God was, whose kingdom it was they needed to be part of. It was the kingdom of God. Matthew, on the other hand, was writing to Jewish people. Now, if you've ever read any Jewish writings, and some of you may have, you will notice that in Jewish writings... Uh, they use the word God very sparingly. Jews don't write out the word God very often. 
If you're ever reading Jewish writings, you will often see when God is mentioned, it will be the letter G, a dash, and the letter D. Now they do that because they believe if they write God's name uh, too much that they're taking the Lord's name in vain. So as a result of that, Jewish people typically don't use the word of God very often. Now, that's the case today, and it is also a good possibility that that was the case when Matthew was writing, which would, which would give us a good, a reasonable answer, I think, as to why Matthew would have used kingdom of heaven a lot instead of using kingdom of God. In the story of the prodigal son in Matthew, uh, the prodigal son, when he's preparing to go back and tell his father he's sinned, he's going to tell his father, I have sinned against heaven. Now, we can't sin against heaven, against a place where God lives. We sin against God. Now, we understand the context that when he says sinned against heaven there, that he's meaning he's sinned against God. He's committed a great sin. And therefore, I believe that when we read about the kingdom of God and we read about the kingdom of heaven, that those two places are the same place in Scripture. But I'll let you guys study those texts for yourself. But I wanted to tell you, that that's how I'll preach because that's how I believe that the two texts are to be understood. So when we read about the kingdom of God or talk about the kingdom of God or should I say <coughs> kingdom of heaven sometimes, I mean the same, the same kingdom in both instances. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, Jesus says, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom have, of, of God has come to you. Now, Jesus indeed drove out demons and he says, If I'm doing that, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So the kingdom of God is something that has already come. In verse uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Which of the two did his father's will? The first, they said, Jesus said to them, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are in the kingdom of God before you. Now, we won't talk about the whole context of that passage, but if you look at the second half of the passage, he says, I assure you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom. It appears as though it's something that people in Jesus' day are already entering into. And I believe that that was the case. I believe that people were entering into the kingdom of God even in that day. Jesus has said in the verse that we started with in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, that the kingdom of God had come near. It is quite clear through reading the text that many people that Jesus encountered and began to preach and teach the message to had indeed entered into the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 9, verse 47, And if your eye causes your downfall, gouge it out. It is better to, for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Jesus is saying you need to do whatever you need to do to get right with God. To get, to get away from your sin, to be free from your sin, you may need to take drastic measures. He said it's better for you if your eye causes you to sin to gouge it out and enter the kingdom of God with, with, with one eye or with no eyes than to continue in your sin and be thrown into hell. Now, we won't get into the discussion of whether that's literal, but it, uh, Jesus is, is letting us know the severity of our sins here. I believe that what Jesus was saying is there is we need to take our <coughs> sins very seriously. If we want to enter the kingdom of God 
and avoid the consequences of hell, then we need to repent of our sin, just as Jesus said in verse 15 that we looked at earlier. We repent of our sin and we believe in him. We deal with our sin in serious ways uh, by, 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 by doing our best to avoid sin, by giving it to Jesus Christ who took our sin for us, who is the one who ultimately deals with our sin. And upon doing so, we are able to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is also growing. We see that in the text. We see examples that, that lead us to believe the kingdom of, of God has already come. But we see other scriptures that explain the kingdom of God as something that is, that is growing, that is getting bigger, that is spreading. Now, that is indeed true in our world today and has been true since Jesus Christ came and the disciples went out into the world and began to preach the gospel. There are people who are entering into the kingdom of God every day. They are putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is a kingdom that is indeed growing. In Luke chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through the entire mixture. Now, here in these two little simple parables he gives, he's explaining the kingdom of God. What can it be compared to? It's something that is growing. It's something that is spreading. Therefore, that leads me to believe that the kingdom of God is something that is already here, something that has already come, something that is and something that will be. Now, I used to think of the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven as heaven. When I used to think or hear or see the phrase kingdom of God, I always took that to mean heaven. I always took that to mean the afterlife. But upon further review of the text, I don't believe that the kingdom of God is something that is coming but it's something that has already come in Jesus Christ. It's something that is already here. It's not a earthly kingdom. Jesus said in John chapter 18, I believe verse 36, uh, that his kingdom is not of this world. That is, his kingdom didn't, didn't originate from this world. The kingdom of God originated from God himself. It's not a worldly kingdom, which was the problem for a lot of people that Jesus encountered. When they thought about the kingdom of God coming, they thought it was going to be a kingdom on earth. And instantly when Jesus came, they assumed that that was what was going to happen in that moment. Now, we know in the scriptures that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus will be king of kings and lord of lords. That day will come, but many were looking for that kingdom to come and be a worldly kingdom when Jesus first arrived. But Jesus didn't come to, to establish a worldly kingdom. And so I don't believe that the kingdom of heaven is a, king, uh, as a kingdom of God, excuse me, is a kingdom that is to come, but is a kingdom that has already come. It's not a heaven that we will once enter into. It's a kingdom that we can enter into right here and now as Christians when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus gives these instructions here. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Here we see that phrase again, that idea that the kingdom of God has come near. I believe that Jesus is using this language to let people know so they won't miss it. 
It's coming close. Don't miss the kingdom as it's right in front of you. As it's right here, you can enter into, you can be part of the kingdom. Think about it if you were, if you were at a bus stop and a bus was coming through, and that bus was going to where you wanted to go, and the bus came near to you, but you didn't get on the bus, well, you would be stuck at the bus stop. The bus would go on its way. All the people on the bus would go on their way. But, but if you don't step onto the bus, then you miss the bus. Well, I don't want anyone here to miss the bus. By that, I mean Jesus Christ. When, when we hear God's Word preached and we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and we read it and we, and we, just, and we see everything that, that, that Jesus did, we know who He was, the kingdom of God has come near to us. The kingdom of God is near you today. I don't want you to miss the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't want his people of that day to miss it, nor does he want us today to miss it either. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisee when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, Look here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is among you. Now, Jesus gives us a, a good little hint there about the kingdom of God. He says it's not something observable. So the people of that day, if they would have heard Jesus say that, their brain would have probably begun to turn. Okay, it's not something visible. They were looking for a visible kingdom. But Jesus says when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not something that's observable. It's not something in a physical sense that we can say, oh, look, here's the kingdom of God. Oh, there it is over there. Let's get in the car and I'll go to it. It's not something that we can physically go to. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is not observable, but it is among us. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom that is among us, that is near us, that we can be part of. It's not a physical kingdom that we uh, will enter into in this day and age and, 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 and go to, but it's a spiritual kingdom of God. And we become part of that kingdom by serving the king. What is a, what is a kingdom? Well, my definition, this is just mine, it may, may or may not be good, but my definition of a kingdom is a king who reigns and the people who serve under him. A kingdom can take place anytime, anywhere, as long as those things occur. Now, guess what? Jesus is our king. He is the king of kings, lord of lords. Guess what? Jesus Christ is reigning. Guess what? When we accept him as our lord and savior, we become uh, servants to him. We become his people. He is our king, and we are his people. Therefore, a kingdom has been established in Jesus Christ. It, it can be at any time and it can be at any place. It was a kingdom that began in Jesus Christ, but will go on forever and ever. It's a kingdom that never ends. The kingdom of God is something we enter into through putting our trust in Jesus Christ by repenting of our sins and believing in him. And once we enter into that kingdom, it's a kingdom that will never end. John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, I think gives us another good example here as to why the kingdom of God is probably a spiritual kingdom. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers all worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit 
and in truth. Now, Jesus had been talking to a woman at the well there, a Samaritan woman. He's carrying on this conversation with her, and they begin to talk about these things, and he tells her something interesting about God. God is spirit. Therefore, those who worship spirit, or excuse me, worship God, worship God in spirit. It's a spiritual kingdom that we enter to. We worship God in spirit. It's not a physical place that we go to. It's a spiritual place that we go to. John, or excuse me, Luke chapter 28, verse 18. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now, the kingdom of God is here, but yet Jesus says he's not going to speak or to, to drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So it's a kingdom that is both here and is both coming. It's here in some respect right now, but it's not here fully in its entirety the way it is going to be once Jesus Christ returns. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. How do we enter the kingdom of God? We enter spiritually, unless we are born of the Spirit. Now, he was talking to uh, about baptism here. He was saying that we all need to be born again, and we are baptized, not just in water, but in the Spirit. It's a spiritual kingdom. We enter into it spiritually by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not physical stuff. It's not eating and drinking. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we want to enter into the kingdom of God, we enter into that kingdom spiritually. It's not a physical kingdom that we uh, enter into in this world. It's not a kingdom that is going to come when we leave this world and stand before God. It is a kingdom that has already come in Jesus Christ. It is a kingdom that is near you today if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's near. Know that the kingdom is near. Know that it's a better kingdom than this worldly kingdom that is full of sin and hatred and, and lust and anger and bitterness. The kingdom of God brings with it righteousness and peace and joy and love and patience and kindness and gentleness. Those are all things that are part of the kingdom of God. Now, which kingdom do you want to be part of? The kingdom of this world and all the hatred and all the evil that goes on in it are the kingdom of God that is full of all of those glorious things that I just mentioned to you. Well, the choice should be easy. If you're not part of that kingdom of God, I've got good news for you today. The same good news that Jesus told us about. The kingdom is near. You can be part of the kingdom of God today through Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Kind of the same type of language that we see in, in Romans. Don't worry about the physical things Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Don't worry about the, 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 the worldly things that you see. Instead, what does he tell us to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, that's good advice for us to remember. We can make a note of that. We can write it down. We can stick it in our, in our office. We can stick it in our house. We can stick it in our car. And if we live by that advice, by that very command of, God, of Jesus here, boy, things would work out a lot better for us if we, if we would seek God more than anything. 
more than our own desires, more than our own wants, more than uh, all the things that, 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 that we want in this world, if we would seek God first, everything else would fall into place. That's what Romans was saying. Look, don't worry about food and all these things. That's not the kingdom of God. But instead, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit, that's the kingdom of God. Seek God first. We will find His kingdom when we seek it. We even see some references to the kingdom, some similar language in the Old Testament. Uh, In Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, Now if you listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although all the earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. So even then, God is saying, I want to make you my kingdom. If you follow my covenant, for us, that covenant is in Jesus Christ. If we come to Jesus Christ, we become part of God's kingdom. Just as God desired and was working on and building a kingdom then, we become part of that same kingdom, the very kingdom of God. We enter into that kingdom by entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 12, verses 32 and 34. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now here was a guy that was asking Jesus about what was the most important command. Jesus says, Love God more than anything. Put him on top <coughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the guy was impressed with Jesus' answer. He said, yeah, that's a good answer. That's the right answer. God doesn't care about burnt offerings and all this stuff. He wants us to love him first, and he wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the, the man states this to Jesus after Jesus gives him an acceptable answer. And then when Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, this guy was close because he got it. He understood what God's word said. He understood that God was supposed to be most important. He understood that we were supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And upon him acknowledging that to Jesus, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, there may be some in this room today, and you're not far from the kingdom of God, in that you've heard God's word. You know what it says. You even believe what it says but you've never really trusted in Jesus Christ. You're not far from the kingdom of God, but you're not in the kingdom of God unless you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Unless you've called out to Jesus Christ and asked Him to be your Savior and asked Him to forgive your sins, unless you've trusted Him with all of your heart, unless you believe that He is the Son of God who has given His life, uh, who was nailed to a cross, who was buried and resurrected for you, unless you've put your, all your trust in Him as Lord and Savior, guess what? You're not part of the kingdom of God. I don't want you to be close to the kingdom of God I don't want you to be near the kingdom of God. I want you to be part of the kingdom of God. And how do we become part of the kingdom of God? We trust in Jesus. We let ourselves go. We say, Lord Jesus, I'm laying down everything. 
all of my sins, all the things that I've been trying to take care of and do on my own. That's what we try to do, right? We try to find, we try to be self-righteous. We try to, we try to do our own thing so we can be good in God's sight. God, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to trust in you, but you don't want me right now. I'm too bad. I'm going to get my life cleaned up. I'm going to do better. And we try to do things too much on our own. And we try to take control and we want to be in control. Because it's a hard thing for us maybe to humble ourselves before someone. Because humbling ourselves means that we acknowledge, we admit that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. But to accept Jesus Christ, that's exactly what we have to do. We have to humble ourselves. We have to give ourselves completely to the Lord. We have to say, God, I'm going to let go of trying to control my own life, and I'm going to let you be in control. And that's hard to do. Because we like to be in control. Or I do, maybe you don't. I like to be in control. But when God's in control, things may not happen when I want them to happen, the way I like them to happen. It may seem like, boy, I, I better do something. God's not doing nothing. Nothing's not happening in whatever I'm praying about or waiting on. God's not doing anything. Therefore, I must do something and make it happen. And we try to do too much on our own. And when we try to do too much on our own, we end up getting into trouble, causing ourselves more problems. What we have to do if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is you've got to let go and you've got to give everything to the Lord. There may be some of you in here today who are part of the kingdom and have put your faith and trust in the Lord, but you're still trying to hold on to some things because that's what we do. Now, I tell you this not as one who has mastered that. I tell you this as one who is struggling with you, knowing that there are things that I'm trying to hold on to, that I give to the Lord all the time, stresses and worries and fears and things that I want to control. And it's a constant struggle of me praying that God would help me to not do that, to give those things to the Lord. I understand it's a struggle we are on, but what we have to learn as Christians, and I believe God helps us to do that, is we must let go and we must trust God in whatever situation we are in. I'll close with, with this. Uh, I came across a, a quote uh, from a book this week by a guy named uh, Henry Newen. Uh, he's a, he was a priest and a, uh, a, a theologian. And in one of his books he wrote, he had, he had talked to uh, a flying trapeze group. Uh, some of you have probably seen the flying trapeze before. And uh, it's a person on each side hanging down, and they're, they're throwing somebody in between them and doing flips and tricks. And uh, it's pretty amazing to watch. And he was talking to them about uh, the flying trapeze, and he was asking the girl uh, about uh, the tricks that she did and the things that she did and how she did it. And this is what she said. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Job, my catcher, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. I am not supposed to catch Job. It's Job's task to catch me. If I grabbed Joe's wrist, I might break them, or he might break mine. And that would be the end of both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust, with outstretched arms, that his catcher will be there for him. And that's a good example of what God is for us. We are flying through this world of sorrow and pain and sin and all of the things that we go through. And God is there to catch us. God is there with a grip that will not let us down. He will catch us and not let us fall if we let Him, if we trust Him. 
too often times we're, we're trying to grab hold of ourselves, and we won't just reach our arms out and let God grab hold of us. We have to trust the Lord. If we want to be part of the kingdom of God, then we have to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God and say, God, I am a sinner. God, I am in a situation that's too hard for me. I cannot understand it. I don't want to be in it. But God, I can't get myself out of it. So I'm just going to trust you. And when we reach out to the Lord, He will grab a hold of us if we seek Him. If we seek His kingdom, we will find it. And we find His kingdom through no one other than Jesus Christ Himself. The kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, repent and believe. That was Jesus' command. It was as good for us today as it was for those people back then. If you've never entered the kingdom of God, I want to tell you today it's near. Don't miss it. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words. God, I thank you that as Christians we can be part of your kingdom. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for the kingdom you started to build upon your death and resurrection, dear Lord. We trust that you are the king and you are reigning. And I pray that you help us, dear Lord, those who are yours, to trust you and be faithful servants to you, dear Lord, that we can be obedient to your work, that we can help your kingdom to grow, that we can bring your kingdom near to those that we encounter every day. So, God, that when they see your love and when they see your kingdom and when they hear your words, God, that they would repent and that they would believe in you and be part of your kingdom today. God, I pray that if there are some in this room that's never entered the kingdom, God, maybe it's, it's, it's come by on a lot. Maybe they've, they've heard the kingdom in a lot of sermons. Maybe they've read it in your word a lot. Maybe they've heard friends or family members talk about your, 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 your kingdom and, and talk about your love, and it's come near. They know about Jesus, but they've never trusted in it. God, I pray that today they get on the bus. God, I pray that they don't miss the kingdom and let it pass them by, dear Lord, but I pray that, that they realize today the kingdom is here that Jesus Christ died for them, that he is here for them to hold them up, to pull them up, dear Lord, if they will just trust him. So God, help us for the things that we may be holding on to, to stretch our spiritual arms out to you, dear Lord, to give in to you, dear Lord, and let you take care of us, to trust you, to let you catch us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.